fantastic. Well, mm. it's my privilege to welcome my wife to the stage. Mm -hmm. Let's put, put our hands together. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Well, good morning, everybody. It's been a while since I've been up here to do this, so it's a little bit nerve-wracking. All right. Um, just to clarify, Sam and I don't colour coordinate, and he hates me wearing the same colours as him, so he's very annoyed when he saw my top this morning. So we don't like matching. Well, he doesn't like matching. I don't really care. Anyway. <laughs> Recently, um, I've read this book by Kyle Ardeman called Aha, and it's a really good book. It's nice, easy, easy reading, and it's a great concept. So I've taken his title, and I've taken his thoughts, and added some of my own as well, and I want to share it with you this morning. Aha is an acronym, and it stands for Awakening, Honesty, and Action, A-H-A. It's a sudden recognition that leads to an honest moment that brings lasting change. So these three ingredients, awakening, honesty, and action, and I want to have a look at each of those three things this morning, but before we do, let's just pray. Lord, we just thank you for your presence here in this place. We thank you for that wonderful time of worship and just that you brought us all together. And I just ask, Holy Spirit, that you would come, that you would just speak to every individual and just minister to their needs, whatever it is they need this morning. We just commit this morning into your hands, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, how many of us um, hate the alarm clock? I'm not a big fan of the alarm clock. Maybe you're one of those people that hear it and get out straight of out of bed straight away, but I'm not. I'm like, I hit the snooze button four or five times before sort of rolling out of bed. But of course, for the last couple of years, Sam and I don't need the alarm clock anymore. We have two little alarms that wake us up between about 5.30 and 6.30 every morning, although it's sort of six o'clock now, which is good. It's getting better. And um, it's good because it's more pleasant than the buzzing sound, but there's no snooze button. That's a bit of a pain. <laughs> But anyway, with an alarm, basically, when that annoying buzzing sound gets too annoying, we get out of bed. But until then, until the desire not to hear the alarm outweighs our desire to keep sleeping, then we're not going to wake up. An awakening takes place when God finally gets our attention. It's when we, the alarm sounds and we hear it, and it causes us to sit up and get out of bed. We become aware of our present circumstances and the reality that something must change. Sometimes we can be heavy sleepers and the alarm sounds numbers of times, but we don't hear it until it's almost too late. Um, other times we hear it and we act quickly. A while ago, um, we were getting the newspaper for free because Sam signed up to some deal that we got it for free. And I didn't really read it that much, but I do quite like the puzzle page. And I used to really enjoy doing Sudoku's, but now I don't have time to do them anymore. So I've switched to the word wheel. And there's an example that's going to come up on the screen. And it's when it's a word of eight letters and it can go either direction and you've got to work out what it is. And I, I sit there and stare at these things and I try and work out the ending and then work out the rest of the word. And sometimes you stare it. I know you're doing it now. And um, you know, you see the word straight away and it's awesome. And other times to look at it for ages and you know, write different options down and hopefully finally I get it. Sometimes I don't, which is really frustrating. But anyway, in a weird way, it's a picture of an awakening. You know, you have this word and, and sometimes you look at it, you see the answer straight away and it's there. Other times you stare and you stare and you can't see the word until finally you have this sudden realization and it's like, yes, that's the word. 
And the prodigal son, he had that kind of realization. I want to have a look at his story this morning. It's in Luke chapter 15, and it shows us of a young man. He wanted to leave his father's house and make his own way in the world. He was sick and tired of being stuck at the farm with his dad. So he goes to his father, and he asks him for part of his inheritance, and off he goes. Here's what I'd class a deep sleeper. I think that he missed a fair few alarms before he finally came to his senses. And I want to pick it up in verse 13. It's from the NIV version. So it says, not long, um, not long after that, the younger son got together all he had and set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth and wild living. After he spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country and he began to be in need. And I think that was possibly an alarm moment. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to the fields to feed the pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. Could have been another alarm moment. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am, starving to death. And the prodigal son made some bad decisions in his life. He had some alarms that he ignored, but finally it got through to him when he was starving, when the pigs were eating better than he was, and he came to his senses. He had a sudden realization, and he heard the alarm. All of us have things in our lives that God puts his finger on, and there's an alarm going off. It might be something spiritual, like um, you know, you've, you've got a uh, that time with God that you just know you need to get sorted and, and you haven't quite got there yet or there's an attitude that needs dealing with and or maybe it's a sermon that you heard and there's something in there you know you need to do something about. Um, or it could just be another area. Maybe we're working too much and, and we need to spend more time with our family or um, we need to exercise more. It could be anything. It could be that our priorities need adjusting. Whatever it is, big or small, really important or not so important, there's an alarm going off. There's a verse in 2 Chronicles, 36 verse 15, and it says, And the Lord God of their fathers sent warnings to them by his messengers, rising up early and sending them because he had compassion on his people. And I really like that verse because God's a God of, of mercy and compassion. And it's a great comfort to me that if in my own human era I make some bad decisions and I start to head off course, that God's going to send a warning. He's not just going to let us veer off and head down this terrible path of destruction without sending someone to say hey, or without sending something to try and get our attention. And thank God for that because we do make bad decisions in our lives. But the key is that we've got to hear that alarm and we've got to respond. And, um, you know, the sooner the better, usually, because often the less heartache, pain and suffering we're going to experience. Now, sometimes it's not because of bad decisions um, or bad actions that we need an awakening. It can be circumstances or things that are completely out of control, out of our control. But as we heard from Pastor Mark Varghese in that awesome message a couple of weeks ago, it's not the TARS that will kill us. It's not the circumstances or the people that are causing us difficulty or pain. It's the thorns. It's our responses. It's our attitudes. It's our actions that we take. So that could be an alarm thing. God sounds the alarm through many different vehicles, but probably, um, I believe, the most powerful way is through his voice. It could be audibly, I haven't ever had that, but um, probably more likely to be through reading the word, through the word of God, or, or through a message, or media. And there's a great example in the Bible of God sounding the alarm, and it was his audible voice, and it's in Genesis 4, verse 2 to 5. It's the story of Cain and Abel. Because of time, we're just going to skim over it. 
So there's two brothers, Cain and Abel, and they each bring an offering to the Lord. And Abel brings his best to God, but Cain doesn't give his best. And it says in verse 4 to 5, The Lord looked on favor with Abel, on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. But look at the next verse. God warns him. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? And it's like God saying, hey, Cain, I know that my response wasn't what you wanted, but I'm giving you an opportunity to do the right thing here. And then there's another alarm. But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. So God gives a clear alarm to Cain, and then he steps back, and he lets Cain choose what he's going to do. But unfortunately, Cain ignores the alarm, and verse 8 says, Now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. So Cain ignores God's alarm, and ultimately, everything comes crashing down around him, and he ends up murdering his brother. And I think it's scary that God's word and God's warning was really clear. I mean, it's pretty black and white, but Cain still ignored that and let those desires win out in the end. But you know what? The word of God and the voice of God is so powerful. It's a word of life. It can be a word that saves us, and sometimes we just open it up to the right place, don't we? And that verse just speaks right into our circumstances. Or, um, you know, I've sometimes at times I've opened the word for today and it's exactly what I need to hear. Or maybe you hear a message and, you know, that's pinpointing that issue in your life. But God speaks through his words and he sends alarms through those words and we just need to learn to pay attention to those alarms. Another way God sends an alarm is through other people, um, often our spouse <laughs> or a friend. And those people can come into our lives and they can see things. They can see if we're going off track or there's something that we need to get sorted because often we can't see those issues ourselves. We all have those blind spots in our lives. And they can come in and say, hey, you need to get this sorted. And that's why it's so important that we all have people in our lives that can speak into us. Another way God can send an alarm is by highlighting um, an example of someone who's gone before us and we can learn from their mistakes and hopefully not repeat them. So whatever way the alarm will sound, we need to hear it, we need to wake up, and then we need to honestly look at ourselves. And that's the second ingredient of aha, is honesty. It's not much fun, but absolutely necessary if we're going to go out through this process of change. Hebrews 4 verse 13 says, Nothing in all of creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. To have an aha moment, it's not enough to have an awakening. We need to be honest about ourselves. Let's go back to Luke 15 and the prodigal son. Verse 17 to 19, it says, he says, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death? I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. The prodigal son was pretty honest, wasn't he? He didn't mince his words. But often the hardest person to be honest about is ourselves. When we have an awakening in an area, we need honesty because conviction leads to confession. And without that honesty, then there's no true awakening. If God's challenged us about spending that time in the Word, then we need to honestly say, okay, what am I doing and how can I change that? Or if it's that attitude, let's really look at ourselves and go, okay, this is where I'm at. What do I need to do from here? And if possible, share that with someone else as well. There's a verse in James chapter 5, verse 16 that says, 
Therefore, confess your sins each to another and pray for each other so that you may be healed. And so if we have someone else that we can talk to about it and, and get them to pray with us, then that's even better. But first of all, we can just be honest with ourselves. That might be enough for most of us. You know, um, kids have a way of being honest, don't they? They just say it like they see it. And the other day, it was a few weeks ago, I was walking with my friend and our kids, and there was like a homeless guy, and he was sleeping on the grass. And Zach's like, Mommy, what's that guy doing on the grass? Why is he asleep? Is he asleep? He should go to his bed. He needs to go home. And I'm like, oh, let's just walk fast so he doesn't really hear us. But, you know, kids, they're so honest, and they just say it exactly how they see it. But somewhere along the line as we grow up, we lose that blatant honesty. And part of that's really good because we learn tact, which is very important. But another part of that is, is not so good and we can struggle to be honest. And I think, you know, it's probably an area that all of us struggle with to a measure, whether it's being honest in general or being honest about ourselves. And it's something that I struggle with a little bit. When I was um, first going out with Sam, when we were dating, I really wanted to be who I thought that he wanted me to be, you know? So I just sort of pretended to be into the same sports and to be into the same music and <laughs> to like the same TV programs. And, you know, I don't know if any of you have done that. Maybe it was just me. And as time went on, I wasn't really that into rugby after all. I wasn't so much into those same shows that he thought I was. And it's funny, but... It was, it was quite an issue for me, and, and I did spend a bit of time trying so hard to be what I thought he wanted me to be, that I wasn't being myself, I wasn't being honest, and all it did was put pressure on both of us, and it just became a bit of a downward spiral, and I, I had to overcome it, you know? But being honest, it's, it's not always that easy. But I really believe that the more honest we are, in whatever area it is, the more free we are. Honesty, and it, it's so liberating. Because hiding the truth, whatever area it is, is no fun for us, and it's actually no fun for others either. Psalm 51 verse 6 says, Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part you shall make me to know wisdom. And God desires truth in every area of our lives. When we're not honest, we can tend to blame, or um, we can deny that there's an issue, or minimize. How many of you have ever said, ah, um, oh, it's just not that big a deal? Well, I'm just, I'm just having a bit of fun. What's your problem? The prodigal son, he didn't try and minimize his situation. You know, he said, I will say to my father, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. That's pretty straight, pretty honest. But the good thing is, despite our lack of honesty and our sin at times, God is so gracious and he's so good and he's just waiting to forgive us if only we'll ask. And remember, whatever it is we might be struggling to be honest in, God already knows, but he loves us just the same anyway. Action. Action is the hardest step in the aha process. It's the last step. We have an awakening moment. We find the strength to be totally honest, but then sometimes we can never really get around to doing anything different. We spend much of our lives stuck between honesty and action. 
I want to say that again. We spend much of our lives stuck between honesty and action. And I think that that is really true. It's, it's very true for me. I know a lot of the areas that I need to change in. I've had the awakening. I've been able to be honest. But then when it comes to the actual change, I don't know, for some reason, it's, it's just so hard. And sometimes I'll start out and I'll have a good week and you know, I'm getting somewhere and then I don't know what happens. It just sort of stops and, and you end up back in square one. And the problem the problem is, as the saying goes, change is only change if we don't change back. The desire to change for me is not the problem, it's the discipline to do something. I tend to hit the snooze button and go back to sleep, but I need to get up because sadly, knowing we need to change doesn't amount to change itself. I think sometimes we feel like we're halfway there, you know, when you've, you've had that awakening and you're honest about it, you sort of feel like you've done something, and you have, but it's not enough, we can't stop there. We hear the sermon, we realize we need to do something, we honestly look at ourselves, and then, and then, and then, then nothing. And then it goes back on the shelf, and it's no good. But um, hopefully, you're better than I am. And if you're not, don't worry. <laughs> That's why I'm preaching this message. <laughs> Knowing we need to change and take action, um, but not doing it is actually really frustrating. It can make us feel mad at ourselves or guilty that we haven't done anything yet. But the prodigal son... He acted. Let's look at verse 20. It says four crucial words that changed his story from the pig pen to the restored and the redeemed son. Those four words read, so he got up. Verse 17 said he came to his senses, and that's great, but without verse 20, so he got up, verse 17, it doesn't really matter. The prodigal son's story changed, and our story can change too. And I want my story to say, so she got up. There's another story in the Bible that I want to look at, and it's about the priest Eli, who Samuel was raised under in 1 Samuel 2. And it's a story that looks at passivity and demonstrates the, the danger and the serious consequences of that. And passivity is the opposite of so he got up. It's the opposite of taking action. Um, people can think it's the course of action not to take action, and I guess it is, but it's not the right course. Um, we can all be in danger of passivity in different areas of our lives, um, but aha is a call to action, not passivity. So let's recap the story. Eli's two sons were named Hophni and Phinehas, not names to call your future kids. They were pastors of the church, as it were, um, but they were real nasty pieces of work. They stole from the offering, they kept sacrifices that were meant for God, and they slept with the woman who served outside the sanctuary. They had no regard for the Lord. And Eli knew what his sons were up to. 1 Samuel 2, verse 22 to 25, in the message version, because it's shorter and clearer, says, By this time Eli was very old. He kept getting reports on how his sons were ripping off the people and sleeping with the woman who helped out in the sanctuary. So Eli, he knew what was going on, and he knew he needed to take action, but all he does is call his two sons in and give them a really good telling off, and you can read that in the verses for yourselves. Um, so he said a lot of words, but he didn't do anything to stop them. So in verse 29, God says to Eli, why do you honor your sons more than me? And that's an interesting point, a bit of one to take note, because if God challenges us on something and he, and he calls us to take action, if we don't do anything, then we're actually honoring that thing more than we're honoring God. 
Anyway, we'll keep going with Eli. God is gracious, and even though Eli's done nothing to this point, he sends a messenger to warn Eli of the coming consequences. So in 1 Samuel 2, verse 27 to 36, um, there's someone who comes to Eli, and he says, and I mean, it's pretty scary. He says, hey, both your sons are going to die on the same day, and everyone in your family is not going to live to the prime of their age. They're not going to get to be old. They're all going to die early. Um, And then... Again, in chapter 3, verses 11 to 14, there's another warning. I'm going to read it from the message. And this is where um, Samuel comes under Eli. And I don't know if you remember the story. Uh, Samuel hears God's voice, and he thinks it's Eli talking to him. He goes to Eli and says, you know, what is it? And then I think on the third time, um, Eli says, it's God speaking to you, and say to him, speak, Lord, for your servant hears. And that's what Samuel did. And this is what God says to Samuel to tell to Eli. The time has come for me to bring down on Eli's family everything I warned him of, every last word of it. I'm letting him know that the time's up. I'm bringing judgment on his family for good. He knew what was going on, that his sons were desecrating God's name and God's place, and he did nothing to stop them. This is my sentence on the family of Eli. The evil of Eli's family can never be wiped out by sacrifice or by offering. You know, at this point in the story, Eli still has a chance to change his story. We could have read, so he got up. But unfortunately, we don't. And in verse 18, Eli's response is, he is God, let him do whatever he thinks best. He just found out that his two sons are going to die, that all his future family are going to die early, that the evil of his family can never be wiped out. And that's what he said. He said, let him do what he thinks best. And I mean, it may sound submissive, but it's not submissive. It's passive. There was no fight. There was no coming before God and pleading for mercy. Instead, he just sat back and said, whatever God wants. But it wasn't just that. The consequences of Eli's lack of discipline or lack of action action regarding his sons had consequences beyond his own family line. Samuel was a great prophet, priest, and judge, and he called Israel to repentance and a renewed dedication to the Lord. But we don't get the impression that he was such a good father. And when um, Samuel was old, he appointed his sons as judges or leaders of the land over Israel. But the Bible says they went after dishonest gain, they took bribes and perverted justice. So the people didn't want them as their leaders, and they demanded a king instead. And that's where King Saul comes into play. David wasn't much better, and future generations all suffered because of Eli's passivity. So I guess what we can learn from that is we need to make a decision not to be passive, but to be active, to get up and to take action. With God's help, we can be like the prodigal son, and our story can change and say, so he or she got up. There's another story. This is a positive one this time in the Bible, and it's of Zacchaeus. And like the prodigal son, he has a great aha moment. He was a tax collector. He cheated the people out of money. Nobody liked him. And one day, Jesus is coming to town. So he goes out. He climbs a tree. He's up the tree. Jesus sees him and says, Hey, Zacchaeus, get down from that tree. I'm going to come to your house for lunch today. And what a lunch that was. Zacchaeus has an awakening. He honestly looked at himself, and he took responsibility and action. And Luke 19, verse 8 says, Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. What a great aha moment that was. And when we act after a revelation, God is glorified. I think those are two great statements. The prodigal son, so he got up. And Zacchaeus, here and now. I love those two. So let's finish the story of the prodigal son. 
and see how the Father and how how Heavenly Father responds when we get up. Let's pick it up again in verse 20. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. What a wonderful ending to the story. The prodigal son turned his back on his father. He squandered his inheritance. And according to one Jewish scholar, asking for your inheritance while the father was still alive was like wishing the father was dead. But despite his disrespect and selfishness, the father responds with extravagant love and undeserved grace. And the son was still a long way off when the father ran towards him. The Father didn't wait. And just like God doesn't wait for us to make it home on our own, He acts. He runs towards us. In fact, before we ever came to Him, He sent His Son to die on a cross for us. He acted. It wasn't too late for the Son. The Father loved Him just as He was and welcomes Him with open arms, with a hug and a kiss and, and a feast to celebrate. And just as it wasn't too late for the prodigal son, it's never too late for any of us. No matter how far down we go, no matter where we are or what we've done, it is never too late with God. Taking action draws us closer to God. It deepens our relationship with Him. It grows us and it matures us. And I think one of the most rewarding things in life is when you can look at yourself and you can look back and you can see how far you've come. You can see that you've grown in character. You can see that you've become more patient or more kind. Well, hopefully we can see that. And, you know, if we haven't, then we we want to cry out to God to help us. But we all need aha moments. We all need to have awakenings. We all need to learn to be honest with ourselves. And most of all, we need to get up and say, right here and right now, I want this story to change. I'm going to get up and take action. And I know this isn't easy. I so know. And I also know that I haven't really given you any easy answers this morning. All I've really done is is highlighted this area and given you some stories to take inspiration from or warning from. But I do believe that it's possible to take action. Even when it feels impossible, it is possible with God. And um, with God's help, we can make a decision that's going to change our story. We can, and making that decision is probably the one thing that I just encourage all of us to do today. Because if we make a decision, we're far more likely to act. If we put that stake in the ground, as it were, and say, yeah, whatever it is God's put his finger on, I'm going to get up. I'm going to take action from this point on. If we can learn to live out the aha in our lives, we will be so much more fruitful, fulfilled, and closer to God our Father. And that closeness is his deepest desire. He longs for more relationship with each of us. If I could just have the musos to come up, I just want to finish with a story. (laughs) There was an elderly man who could no longer take care of himself and whose family made the difficult decision to put him into a nursing home. Every Sunday afternoon, the man's daughter and her husband and their children would go and see him, and every Sunday, this elderly man would wait for his daughter and her family to come visit. He looked forward to it all week, and he was always out waiting for them. As the years passed, his mind grew weaker, and he soon had a hard time remembering his children's names. He would sometimes have a hard time getting back to his room, but no matter what happened, on Sunday afternoon, he was always there waiting for his daughter and her family. 
One day the daughter asked her father, Daddy, do you know what day of the week it is? And the father couldn't tell her what day of the week it was. So the daughter said to her dad, well, Daddy, how did you know to wait for us today? The father replied, oh, honey, I wait for you every day. God is a loving father, and he waits for us every day. He waits for those who don't yet know him. He waits for us, his children, to spend more time with him. He waits for us to hear the alarm and to take action. And he waits for us to listen as he tells us of his great love for us, no matter what. And so this morning, we're going to sing that song, Awakening. And, and I just really want to encourage you. Maybe there's something that you know you need to take action about. There's an alarm going off. And, and I want to encourage you this morning, cry out to God for his grace. Because I believe there is a window of grace to take action. Sometimes when, when we share on something, God just extends his grace and say, Hey, I'm giving you this opportunity. Make that decision. Take action and change your story. Change my story. That's my prayer for all of us this morning. Amen.